Hey there, my name is Ben Ramos, and you are listening to the Rise Church Podcast. We are a church in southeastern Idaho that is dedicated to sound biblical theology, coupled with the authentic power of God. Our true hope is that this podcast will help you to continue to grow and taking steps in your relationship with Jesus. I hope you feel empowered today. I hope you feel encouraged today, and I hope you feel uplifted. God bless you. Enjoy the podcast group of different PhDers, I would suppose, and they went separately to look at the world and to see how people actually um, saw things after they died, and then they came back to life again. And so it wasn't just your story, you know, of I died, I went to heaven, and this happened, or I died, and I went to hell, and this happened. Right. It, was, um, it was pointing out that even in India, the people had pretty much the same reaction that people in Alaska had, or people in the United States had. And so I really spent some time in this book. And the name of the book is called, um, oh, come on, Johnny. Imagine Heaven by John Burke, if you're interested. But out of that book, I just started writing things down, and I spent all summer meditating on this. So um, I'm really grateful for Ben for asking me to speak. Thank you, Ben. And you already told him who I am, so. <laughs> right. Okay, so this morning, I would love for us to imagine a number of different things. But most of all, I would hope that we could imagine God's great love. I'd like to take you back a few years. Well, actually, quite a few years. You see, I was born in a small town of North Carolina, and I was a preemie. And the small hospital that I was born in did not have an incubator, even though they had been invented by the time I was born. Honestly, guys, I'm not that old. <laughs> so um, th we just didn't have one in that hospital. So the doctor said to my mother, you take her home, you put her in the top drawer of the dresser, you pack hot bricks around her, and use a hot water bottle, but be really careful you don't burn her, and pull that dresser over close to the fireplace, where it'll be the hottest place in the, in the house, actually. So that's what my mother did. And the doctor also said two other things. He said, you're going to need to um, feed her with an eyedropper because she's not strong enough to nurse. You see, I only weighed three pounds and two ounces. And the second thing the doctor said was, get prepared, because she probably won't live two weeks. But you know something? After many years, the Lord sometimes allows us to just have a glimpse of what actually happened during these times. My mother told me that her dad died when she was four years old. Now that was my grandfather, and I never knew my grandfather, of course. He had been a um, sort of like a street evangelist, and he would go out in the evenings and preach on the streets of this small town, down in Skid Row, over where the black people had congregated after they were released out of slavery. And yes, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, actually it was, had slaves. And so my grandmother 
and my mother knew these black families, and so they helped to take care of them. But at any rate, my grandfather went out one night, and he was going to preach. Well, he had a bad cold, and he developed a pretty rugged, ragged cough. And my grandmother tried to convince him not to go out, but he went anyway. And so there were two policemen in this town. I'm going to get to the end of this story because you're going to understand why I'm telling you all this. <laughs> um, two policemen in the town. One of them knew my grandfather, and the other one did not know him. And so, um, in the wee hours of the morning, the one that did not know my grandfather found him in the middle of the road. So thinking he was drunk, he hauled him off to jail. And the next morning, the policeman that knew my grandfather found him dead. So why am I telling you this? I'm glad you asked. In devotion one morning, very recently, I said to Jesus, I love you, Jesus. And immediately I heard in my spirit, I love you too. Then he continued, Do you know that I sent my angel to stand at your dresser when you were so very tiny and pronounce you well? Well, how could I know that? Your grandfather, who you never knew, prayed for you also, and your mom's family and your dad's family as well. Why now, Lord? This was last September when Joe was in the hospital and I was so weak I couldn't take care of myself from COVID. And the Lord said to me, so you can see my strength goes before you and I always fulfill the plans that I have for you. I really had to wrap my mind around what Jesus told me. I'll be honest with you. I've not thought a lot about angels since I had a friend in third grade, and all she talked about was angels. And I'd say, wait a minute. And she'd say, angels? Angels did this, angels did that, angels. And I would say, well, what happened to Jesus? Shouldn't we be talking about Jesus? But I just can't hardly wrap myself around the fact that that angel stood beside me when I was trying to die and pronounced me well. Amen. And then I found out that angels are mentioned almost 200 times in the Bible. Can you imagine this? My grandfather, who had been dead for many years praying for me, not sitting on a cloud playing a harp, but involved with his family. Don't even ask me. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. But God does have a plan for each one of us, as he told me then. He has a destiny for us to be fulfilled in us, and he does not want us to lose hope, just as Ben said. He wants us to be strong in faith and to follow after him. And so I, I sort of got to thinking about this after last September, and so one of the plans that God had for my life must have been that I was a nurse and working with patients and loving all of them. When I was still in school and started pediatric rotation, my roommate and I were assigned for three solid weeks a tiny 18-month-old, I called her a baby because she didn't weigh very much except for this huge head that she had. She was hydrocephalic. 
and that's an increased amount of cerebral spinal fluid in the cranium, and your head can get really, really big. And I'm not exaggerating, folks. This baby's head was this big around, and it took my roommate and myself both to turn this baby. We continued day after day taking care of her. We prayed for her, we sang to her, we laughed and, and just, just loved her, is all I can say. We loved her so much and we wanted to see her live. But one day after three weeks, we'd had it. We had had it with this baby of just watching this day after day, watching her go downhill. And we just broke down and started sobbing. The instructor came in the room, walked us out of the room, and about two hours later, she died. But I don't want you to think about all that. I want you to imagine this tiny child crawling through the silky the grass of heaven and reaching up to Jesus to be picked up. Can you really imagine that? Now, I'm not saying it actually happened like that. I don't know if she was still a baby or if she was a spirit alive, whatever. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that baby was in heaven. So just imagine that for a moment. Have you ever wondered what God's will or plan is for your life? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is Paul saying here? We're to give ourselves to him completely. It's quite understandable that we can do this because of what he did for us at the cross. The word transformed is the word for metamorphosis. If we keep our focus on Jesus, then in a sense we are metamorphed, can I make up that word, I guess, in our thinking, in our life, and his peace will rule in our hearts. Peace in our hearts. You can find that in Colossians 3. E.M. Bounds has said, conformity to live one with God is a far higher and more divine life than to live simply in submission to God. Conformity means to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Perfect and complete in all the will of God. We don't want to think about being complete and perfect because in our heart we know that we're not perfect. We think we're not perfect, but God sees us as perfect because he sees us through the blood of Jesus. It's a patient, loving, and sweet submission to be conformed to the will of God. But how to live one with God is a really good question. You might wonder about that. To continuously know he is your very breath seems like a very good place to start to me. And then we have to know how to continue in this. How do we do this, you ask? Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. He longs for loving children who will speak to him. 
Can you imagine that God, as a good father, truly longs for loving children who in our free will still love him and speak about him boldly? God's love has always pursued us, always, 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 relentlessly, persistently, perfectly, mercifully, compassionately. He is jealous for our love and for our time and for our relationship with him. Can you imagine how Moses must have felt in Hebrews 12? 18 to 21, we read. I think you have it up there. Thank you, Wendy. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Here we see God's awesomeness, a blazing fire, a voice whose words made the hearer beg that no further message be spoken to them. Moses even said, I tremble with fear. And yet, starting in verse 22 of Hebrews 12, it says that you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So we who believe in Christ have come to all these places and things. All these titles belong to us, the New Testament church. We've been enrolled in heaven as citizens. If Paul actually wrote Hebrews and was caught up to the third heaven, he's had an excellent knowledge of the happenings and government of heaven. And so he could tell us that this city of the living God was going to be our home. We often read these two sections in Hebrews, even though they more or less go together. But my mind has always gone to, oh, Old Testament law, judgment, but New Testament love. But God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yes, he certainly does love us. But there will come a day when we will also see the judgment of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 says that those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. We have been told many times over the years about people with, any, with NDEs or near-death experiences that there is definitely a hell. It is a real place. It's a visible darkness in a bleary, blurry, claustrophobic, suffocating way, is the way this book put it. There are given many other descriptions, but this should suffice to say that we never want to do there. In fact, I don't even want to imagine that, do you? And yet in Matthew 18, 14, we are told that it is not my heavenly Father's will 
that even one of these little ones should perish. And we know from Matthew 7, 23, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If we had an eternal perspective, I'm sure that we would live an extremely different life. We all have an eternal destiny that we're living right now. For with God there is no time, and one day we will simply step into his presence with what we have accomplished on this earth. Will it be material wealth, careers, family, or will it be such a love for God that it, it just exudes from our pores? Relationships are born out of love. Therefore, we must be in tune with the Lord. We must talk to him every day as we would our close associates. We must get to know him. For I think most of us know that relationship is the key here. God never stops loving us no matter what we've done. Whether we've stayed close to him for many years or whether we've strayed, he always goes after the one to bring him back. Remember the 99 that he left? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has also set eternity in the heart. Imagine heaven with me for just a few more minutes. Hebrews 11.16 says that God has prepared a city for them. Philippians 2 and 3 says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, and he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. Everyone who has ever been to heaven, now that's a big, bold statement. That's what this book says. I've never been there, but that's what this author said. Everyone who has been to heaven says that the light in everything there was born out of love, and everything was life. Is that amazing or not? Just to think about that. Have you ever stopped to imagine heaven to the extent that all the pain of this life, all of the sins, all the sorrows fade into glory? 2 Corinthians 5, 4 says, We will put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up in life. And Romans 8, 18 says, Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Imagine, if you will, when time becomes our friend and peace a constant companion. No stress, no sickness, no death. Again, many who have visited heaven have also said that our love and faithfulness to God on earth determines our capacity, determines our capacity to experience Jesus in heaven. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But because of the Holy Spirit, who reveals some, some of these things to us, I think we can get a picture of it in our mind. The smell, flowers, the grass, trees greater than anything we've ever known here, the crystal clear water flowing in front of the throne, 
and Jesus, our Lord, sitting on that throne. So I'm convinced that we should only imagine. We need to imagine this. We need to keep this in the forefront of our mind. Imagine how magnificent, how spectacular, how awesome heaven will be with our Lord. Can you imagine that you are more, you will be more alive there than you are here? That really struck a chord in me. And do you understand that the unifying theme there is the importance of love? We cannot ever get away from that love. Charles Spurgeon has been noted to say, if you give your soul up to anything, anything is anything, earthly, whether it be wealth or the honors or the pleasures of the world, you might as well hunt after the mirage of the desert or try to collect the mist of the morning, or to store up for yourself the clouds of the sky, for all these things are passing away. Can you imagine Jesus' first question to you when you arrive in heaven? It won't be how much money did you make. It won't be how much traveling did you do. It won't be how much partying did you do. No. Many people visiting heaven say it is this. This is a very important question. And this is one of those, like Pastor Ben, you might need to write this down. To what degree did you learn to love? I'm convinced that how we think of heaven and eternity will affect how we think of what we do about so many things. Illness and suffering, sorrow, fear, love, forgiveness, and even death. In John 17, 22 and 23, Jesus is praying, and he says, And the glory which you gave me, speaking to Father, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. And I have loved them as you have loved me. As equal to the same degree. Father loves me, his adopted daughter. Father loves you, his adopted son, his adopted daughter to the same degree that he loves Jesus. Can you imagine that? How awesome is that? That's mind-blowing, if you ask me. In John 21, 15 through 17, Jesus is asking Simon. He actually says, um, I forget how, is it Peter? No. Simon, son of Jonah, is how he starts that. So he's, he's narrowing this down to the Peter that we know in the scriptures. Peter, do you love me more than these? Perhaps things and people is what he's thinking about, or maybe that's what Peter's thinking about. I love a lot of people. I love a lot of things. I'm a fisherman. Yeah, I like to fish. I, I sort of gave that a lot of thought as to just exactly what is it that, um, you know, that the point of that was. 
Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, when Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, he used the Greek word agape. But when Peter answered him, he used the love filio. So after Jesus had used this word agape, which is true love, self-sacrificing love, Peter answered in brotherly love. Yes, I love you like a brother. There are four words in the Greek that are used for love, and I, I know we've heard this over and over again in, in church, but storgy is the affection, it's affectionately, and I sort of equate that with the way I love my golden retriever, my 70-pound golden retriever that climbs on my lap every day. <laughs> and I have, you know, and I love on him, so that, that's how I sort of look at that word. Eros is a sexual love. Filio is brotherly love, and again, agape love, gives just for the sake of giving without expecting anything in return. Two more times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? But he didn't ask it in agape. He never spoke that again. He simply said, do you love me like a brother? So here I could ask all of us, how do we love Jesus? Are we even his friend? Would we call him a brother? Or would we call him a husband? How do we really perceive Jesus and who he is to us? This is an important question. Let us imagine again Revelations chapter 5, 11 through 13 where the number around the throne is 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Can you just imagine God's great love for us? In 1 John 4.16 it says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. <coughs> Michael Blanchard is with, I believe, Gaither Music, and he's written a song. It says, Daddy Cut My Hair. Basically, it's about getting his hair cut when he was a little boy by his dad. And his dad was not very affectionate. He didn't really know how to show love, and they weren't very close at all. But he said, when my daddy cuts my hair, I can smell the coffee on his breath. And so he got attached to his dad just a little bit in these episodes of having his hair cut. Excuse me. Once during an angry time with his father, they had a falling out. And it didn't just last for a day or two. It went on for quite a long time. At least that's the way I interpreted the song that he was singing. 
And so they didn't speak for quite a while. But in later years, his dad had a stroke, and he could not speak. And so Michael started cutting his dad's hair. And during this time, as he was watching the hair fall on the floor from his dad, somehow forgiveness just seemed to well up inside of him. And so it came to fruition in that time of knowing his dad and where he was. And in the end of the song, he says how grateful he is for forgiveness. Aren't we all grateful for forgiveness? I sure am. The book that I finished reading around June something or other, I don't remember, it said if heaven's emphasis is on people and not on things, shouldn't we be striving in this direction on this earth? Think with me for a moment. Imagine what our world could be like if everybody thought of others, if everyone loved his neighbor as himself. This world certainly wouldn't be in the fix it's in right now. Can we just ask ourselves this question? To what degree have we learned to love? Can you imagine where you're going when you pass from this life? If not, may you get this picture deep in your heart, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God has chosen us to rule and reign with him, but we first must make him Lord of our life. We must be able to say, Jesus is my Lord. And then we just have to claim the promises. The promises that some of us can only imagine because we haven't been there yet. I pray that all of us today, those that have had a terrible week, those that have had a good week, those that maybe you know you've been in sin, maybe you don't know you've been in sin, I pray that we can all rededicate ourselves to the Lord today and say once again that Jesus is Lord. And maybe there's some of you in this room that have never really bowed a knee to who Jesus is. Could we bow our heads, please? Is there anyone here who would love to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you would like to make Jesus Lord, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I know I am a sinner. Please forgive me and help me to live for you. I know the things of the world are passing away, and I want to be surrendered to you. I thank you for what you have done for me on the cross, for you have claimed me for yourself. 
And I thank you, Lord, and I want to make you Lord of my life. Amen and amen. And now these two beautiful people can imagine God as their Heavenly Father. He loves you so very, very much. Let this position as a beloved child become your identity. Hey, thanks again for tuning in with us today. I really do hope and pray that this message has been transformative in your life to help you to take steps in relationship with Jesus. If this has been a blessing to you, there are several things you could do in order to give honor where honor is due. Uh, We would love if you would give us a like, go ahead and give us a subscribe, go ahead and share us, tag us, uh, quote us, do all of those things in your social media feeds. We would be so blessed by that. If you have any more questions or need any more information about who we are, what we believe, or if you'd like to give towards the forwarding of ministry here through Rise Church, you can do so at www.risechurchid.org. God bless. Have a great week.